0: Welcome back to ASD, A New Perspective, the podcast show where we help you understand what is going on in the mind of your child, and we always encourage you that growth for your child is possible. I'm Kat Lee, and in this week's podcast, Dr. Gutstein talks about why RDI and what is it. Let's listen in. That the majority of adults, right, we, we, we know very clearly the majority of adults with autism, let's not worry about low functioning or high functioning or this function or that function, um, fail to achieve what we would call well-being in their lives. And we know this because the psychiatric rate, the rate of psychiatric, adult, what we call psychiatric disturbance, is extremely high. In the population and yes more so even in the population of people who are called high functioning and again i think that's a really poor term uh, people who have i guess i would call more uh who, who, are, who test out with more traditional intelligence um uh, you know iq you call them what you will i don't think high functioning is a really a great term for them but they they are especially vulnerable they have especially high degrees of psychiatric illness and and that's not psychiatric illness from birth That's a result of their lives not working out well and things being not good for them, having poor well-being. And then, of course, the second area that we know about is the suicide issue and the rate that they are completing suicide. Again, the people who who appear to have more mental resources, which is sort of paradoxical, not really, um, have about a seven times greater chance of suicide than their neurotypical peers or their non-autistic peers, I should say. And that's really unconscionable. Um, it should never be happening. It really should be a warning sign that we have to fundamentally do something different. It hasn't been seen that way, unfortunately, um, but it should be both that the employment rate remaining under 20% for reasonable employment, that the independent living rate being so very, very low. The fact that, you know, depression and anxiety is so very, very high. Um, all tell us that something is not working right and this is despite over 40 years 50 years almost of you know interventions that claim that they have effectiveness right you know in any other area of medicine psychological areas there would be you know a revolt in this sense of people saying no wait a minute the the outcome data does not support what you're doing. You have to really rethink what you're doing. We're not seeing that yet, but our guys is an attempt to rethink it, what we're doing based on this and also based on other things that we know, right? And so we know that none of the, um, you know, so, so you know, th- that's indisputable. That's just data we have, evidence we have. Um, we're not talking about, you know, unless you get into false history and, and you know, fake news, we know that this is not good right now. Yes. We, we have, you know, there are a percentage of people you hear about a smaller percentage that they're successful, that seem to have a good life, but that's, that's the strong minority of people. And it shouldn't be that way. It should be the other way around. It should be the vast majority with a small minority having more difficulty with the case of autism, it's the other way around. Um, so that's indisputable. The second fact is what's indisputable is that none of the current interventions have been effective in addressing this, and that's just based on you know reality. They, none of them even look at this data. There's not been a single one of these programs that has actually seen uh, looked at whether they increase the ability for well-being for people with autism. Not one, not one study. Um, People say, why don't we have uh, research on studies on RDI? And the fact is we don't have studies on anything. And whoever's doing these outcome studies isn't really doing outcome studies. And I can't force them to look at something like RDI. Right? I can't force them. Right now, there's a huge trend in in the autism literature. There's been articles saying, look, it, it doesn't make any sense for the people who are developing a model to be the ones testing it. It needs to be independent. There's too much potential for bias. And if you look at all the ABA studies and all the other, that's all it's done is by people who, you know, who have a stake in it, a huge stake in it. Um, And so if you look at that and say, well, how do we, what do we do? Do we pay somebody to do it? Well, that sort of defeats the purpose again. Um, The, the, there is a lack, there are an enormous lack of people interested in the field in doing real, real world outcome based studies of, what people, what happens to people and what the effectiveness of different programs are. There's nobody doing it. It takes a longer term time to do it, right? Although some can be done retrospectively now. I mean, you think about the thousands and thousands of children who have undergone ABA and now grown up. Um, even if you were able to contact 10% of those people, right, you know, and at 10%, you'd get an enormous amount of data and yet nobody has sought to do that with the most popular of all those interventions. So the odds of doing that with RDI, I think are much lower. Um, Maybe that will start to happen. The little bit of data we do have says that none of those programs are making any, any positive difference. Whether there's some negative impact is possible. None of them are having any positive impact, whether you're talking about teach, floor time, right? ABA, you could say that about RDI, too, because we don't have the data on it, but at least, as I will argue, we're at least seeking to address the obstacles that are preventing people from having a a, a, a well-being, or some people call it a quality of life if they have autism. Um, But anyway, all right, so we know that there's, you know, research says there's, there's a diversity among people with autism from birth all the way through life, right? They, they have different issues and different problems. Um, and, and and the question is, you know, there's even been discussion of, sh- should we even have the diagnosis because there's so much diversity? And I would argue strongly for, yes, we do need it. But only if we understand what really is universal, what really is the common bond that, A unifies people with ASD and distinguishes them from people who don't have the disorder. And right now, the criteria don't do that. Even the DSM 5 criteria don't do that. There's a lot of folks, um, you know, with other problems or disorders who could fit into that as well. But that's a different discussion. But despite their diversity, so what hangs them together? What is it that that we, we talk about autism? We talk about the thing that Prevents them, so many people with autism, from having experience of well-being in their lives. What is it, right? And what the research is very clear about is the f- common factor is their inability to manage, engage successfully, and learn from situations that we would call complex and dynamic situations that have a significant degree of complexity. I'm not going to get into what complexity is today, but that's a separate discussion we can talk about. And, and dynamic qualities, which, again, is important to understand, but I don't think I need to – we have time, I'll go into that. But the more – what researchers see is the more they take their research outside of a controlled lab situation and into more of what we call the real world, into more of the less predictable, less repetitive, um, complex um, situations, of real, of the of increasingly of our real world, right, the more difficulty, the more impaired people with autism look in a, in a similar way in their inability to manage those, that complexity and the dynamic qualities of those situations, right, the, the more situation, um, and when I use the word situation, I may talk about an event, a problem, a task, you name it, we have to use one term From everybody uses different terms, I'm using the word situation, so the more situation resembles something that is complicated versus complex complicated means you can take it apart and do a a flow chart. For example, you could do it step-by-step complex means there's so many variables that are interacting in unknown ways that you can't do that. You have to use what we call judgment (laughs) judgment instead of analysis, right? And judgment considered more experience-based intuitive than analysis. And the more that something is considered, it is, is, experience as dynamic, meaning there's only partial predictability over time, meaning that there's a potential for emergence, something really new occurring uh, that can't be predicted. And anyway, we don't want to get into that right now. The more that any situation has those two qualities, the more difficult it's going to be for people with this diagnosis. That's undisputed. And it, it, people talk about that all the time. It's clear from the researchers. When I say people, I mean researchers who study this are clear about it. Those are not disputed facts. Those are not controversial. They just don't filter into the intervention research at all. <laughs> it's like they don't exist, but they're there, okay? So that is the unifying factor. Unifying factor is their inability to successfully manage, and I want to say not just manage, but learn from, because you're going to manage the complex dynamic situations. You have to learn about yourself in them. You have to learn about them. You have to learn about yourself in them. And then if you have to learn, of course, in the future that the, the future variations, future situations are going to contain elements of what you've experienced in the past, but they're also going to be novel. Right? But you have to be able to have experiential judgment to manage them. You have to have other things too, but let's just talk about that. Okay. So, so what is the deal? here? Okay. So what we also know and And people who have studied things like um, uh, future prospective experiential knowledge and, or future thinking, um, episodic memory, uh, improvisational ability, imagination, uh, uh, sort of dynamic co-regulation, um, what they conclude is that people the, the um, whether it's teenagers, adults, whatever children, are not, have not developed the mental mental resources needed to function in these CD situations, right? The experiential base, the ability to learn from experience effectively, how it affects you to personalize that learning. And there's a variety of things. and I'll talk about that later if we have time, but there's a collection of mental resources including the motivation, the intrinsic motivation, the growth-seeking motivation, including the mindsets, including the beliefs and expectations, the, the mental skills, the mental processes, the knowledge, that you need to be successful in CD situations. And so we have this other line of research that again is not in dispute. It's very clear that they're not developing, the reason they're failing, and it's obvious, it would be logical, right? Is that not developing the mental resources needed to succeed? I mean, what other reason could there be, right? But it's not just a short, it's not just specific status skills, right? It's a whole range of mental resources. I I would call it a mental operating system that continues to develop and adapt. Okay, so so where are we, right? And that what we know is that those um, mental resources, if you will, that are associated with traditional IQ tests, academic achievement tests, or even academic success to a certain degree, do not provide, are not going to be sufficient to manage CD situations, they're not the right, it's not the right operating system, right? And so no matter how much, how many more IQ points I give you or how many more subjects you take in school, it doesn't work. Now, the reason that's confusing for us is that for most, for many neurotypical people, not all, but for many, um, the, the way they develop and those things develop in parallel. Remember, it's not that one develops before the other. Um, many people have a, at least a certain degree of dynamic, what I call dynamic intelligence that develops alongside their what I call static, right, complex, uh, complicated static intelligence. So usually if you have somebody with high IQ, they at least have some degree of dynamic ability, right, complex dynamic ability. And so they, they often are to at least some degree correlated in neurotypical development. What's important to understand about autism and what makes it unique is that it's not correlated. Is that you see the development, the potential—not for everybody—of development of that traditional, traditional IQ or achievement, right? An Analysis-based, complicated, like a flowchart-based, you know, procedural-based, um, without the development parallel in parallel of that dynamic ability, dynamic intelligence. So I want you to consider that—that that that's a unique characteristic of people with autism. Okay. Um, and that's important and, you, and to, to, to differentiate it from other issues. Um, so when we talk about, again, what's missing, we're not just talking about certain skills. We're talking about some really sophisticated, more sophisticated judgment processes, um, feeling sampling, awareness processes, self-communication processes, um, imaginative or improv- improvisational thinking processes, innovative thinking processes that have to be managed. They're not just being creative. It's not just having memories. It's being able to develop those tools so they can be tools for the real world, right? Those, what I call experiential tools. Um, but again, I can't get into that. Today, but that's that's a it's a very different operating system. So we're talking about the fact that people who get diagnosed with autism do not develop the complex dynamic operating system, the ability to shift into that system when they encounter situations, right? That have a, a, a su- significant degree of complexity and dynamic qualities. So they, they continue to try to use the mental resources they have because it's all they have that are effective when situations are more static and not dynamic and are more complicated, but not complex, okay? And they fail because of that, um, and then they don't know why they fail, and then this is just to an the side, and then they go and, and the help that people provide give them more of those static skills, you know social skills, employment skills, they just provide even more of those things that are going to not be helpful right and and that's the sad that's one of the sad parts of this, okay, so what do we know about these mental resources? So now, let's shift now away from autism research. That's what we know from autism research. What do we know from things like educational research, developmental psychology, is that these resources, these mental resources, are, don't develop through instruction, right? They don't develop, you know, uh, through reinforcement, whatever. They develop through, for over the period of years, through... What I refer to as a mind guiding relationship, which starts out with parents or people who are assuming a parental role, right, and then can be, you know, extended to other people, and eventually can become a self-learning uh, process as well over time. But it's a very gradual developmental process, experiential, experience-based, through co-experiencing with a more experienced guide. Right. So later through experience sharing, you go off, come back and you share those experiences and help and have someone help you interpret, make sense of them. But for the first years, it's co-experiences, it's being in the world together and learning how to think, use your mind, you know, from somebody who's more experienced. And, And the thing is, in typical development, it occurs without people even really thinking, knowing that they're doing it. If you're a parent, you, you, you sort of realize you're mentally doing it. But it's not something you want to leave up to school where they're more instructional, static, intelligence-based. It's something that really has to occur through more of the day-to-day family-based, hopefully, guidance, um, if, if that's available. Um, but it's, it takes a number of years. And it's a gradual right, process. And it's not always perfect and successful. And it's very intuitive because people are not really sometimes, often, not even aware they're doing it, they're engaged, in. but it starts very early on and it keeps going. But it, but the thing about it is, right, um, it's a, it's really the development of a sort of parallel operating system, mental operating system. It, it, it's, it, it's as if we have the ability, and I think we do have the ability of our brains to rapidly perceive which operating system is going to be more effective. And sometimes we might start out with a task or a situation you know, we perceive it as something that will be simple or we can do it in a sort of step-by-step step way and then we start encountering information that says, <laughs> it's not going to work that way. And then we make a shift, right? Sometimes right away we realize that shift. But from very early on, what's clear to me is, and in fact, when we look at infants, they really are starting to develop that dynamic, what I call that dynamic intelligence operating system first, actually, before they move into that static, more instructional-based system. But anyway... Um, it's it's a years-long process. And this is what we know from educators. We'll tell you this, developmental psychologists. Once again, there's no controversy here. There's not debate. There's no, you know, fighting about it. People aren't fighting about it. They fight about other things. They're certainly not fighting about this, right? That's family-based, parent-based. It's a gradual process. It's a, what we call a scaffolding process, right? Of, um, you know, of co-experiencing scaffolding, uh, curating experiences for the children based on things that are sort of one step ahead of sort of intuitively where you sense that they are. And it's not perfect, but it's a great, but remember it's a process that, remember, one of the things that's really clear that developmentalists will tell you is a process that requires the active engagement and motivation of both the adult, more experienced adult and the less experienced, what I call mental apprentice, the guide, no male guiding apprentice. Okay? And it's not apprenticeship to learn how to make pottery. It's not apprenticeship to learn how to chop wood. It's apprenticeship learning how to use your mind, use your prior experiences, use your imagination, right? Use your um, internal, your feelings, your self communication to be successful in complex dynamic situations so it's a mental apprenticeship thanks for joining us for this special edition of asd a new perspective the podcast show where we help you understand what is going on in the mind of your child and we do encourage you that growth for your child is possible i'm kat lee see you next time